back to another episode of Exploring Roots. So before I get started with this week's episode, I would just like to say that for the next few weeks, I'm trying something new where I won't be editing any of my podcasts and it would just be a complete streamline of what I'm thinking um, plus what I wrote down. So it would just be completely unedited except for the music. And yeah, let's get started. I hope you enjoy this week's episode. I've been putting off this episode for some time just because I wanted to do this podcast episode, but I just thought how complicated it would be to discuss every facet of beauty. So after much contemplation, I've decided to kind of narrow the scope a little bit and try to answer just a single aspect of this question. Um, So let's get started. From the vibrato of the violin in concertos, to a Southern California sunset, to a baby's face, many things can be considered beautiful. A lot of people think they already know the answer to the question, what is beauty? But I think it is much more complex than what it lets on. I mean, just think of the sheer variety of the list I just mentioned. Works of art, music, people, landscapes, poems, etc. Anything and everything seems to be able to be considered to exude a certain beauty. But why are these things beautiful? To try to reach that answer, let's first explore the science of facial attractiveness. One of the major deterrents in determining the features of an attractive face lies in the widespread belief that standards of attractiveness are learned gradually through exposure to culturally presented ideals, and that this has also led to a general belief that cultures vary dramatically in what they perceive to be attractive. If this were true, it would mean that attractiveness is completely arbitrary and what is beautiful now could in a different time or in a different place be considered unattractive. Think about things like fashion, body types, hairstyle, anything. Look, One look back in the 19th or 18th century might not be considered beautiful today. The philosopher David Hume is often quoted for making the argument that beauty is no quality in things themselves. It exists merely in the mind which contemplates them, and each mind contemplates a different beauty. He argues that beauty is completely subjective, and but and by that I don't just mean that there's simply just no standard. It's more like any beautiful thing, and what is interpreted to be beautiful is like ultimately completely independent of the scientific definition of human instincts. However, it turns out that agreement between individuals of different cultures is one of the best documented and most robust findings in facial attractiveness research since the 1970s. And yeah, they've done a bunch of research. Across many studies, it has been found that there is a high degree of likelihood and agreement from individuals within a particular culture, and there's also a high agreement between individuals from different cultures. If different people can agree on which faces are attractive and which are not when judging faces of varying ethnic backgrounds, then this suggests that people everywhere are using the same or at least some sort of similar criteria in their judgments. 
here, you can make the argument that cross-cultural agreement on attractiveness is evidence against the notion that attractiveness ideals are slowly absorbed by those growing up with a particular culture, and instead is more of a universal instinct. But you can also say that Western culture has affected other cultures and probably vice versa, and as a result, we have come to an agreement on what a beautiful face looks like. So it's less instinctual. Dennis Stetton, uh, he's an art philosopher and media activist, gave a talk back in 2010 before he passed away that discussed this idea. In it, he reasons that we like certain landscapes and in that regard, beauty becomes more of a primal thing. We like to be up on a hill. Heck, I just went for senior sunrise last week and I can tell you it's way more beautiful up there than flat on the ground. We see further, we feel bigger, and it comes back to perhaps a human instinct in which we used to survive based on living on top of fields. All of that can be arguably classified as natural beauty. Right? We lived on top of hills because it was better for us, it was more productive, and we got a head start and uh, we were more advantageous up the hills and that's considered natural beauty. And it's very different from, or he argues that it's very different from the type we see in artworks, poetry, and human constructions. In addition to natural beauty, there's also artistic beauty. And Dutton says that our perception of artistic beauty is fluid and it travels so easily across geographic boundaries. Rembrandt is enjoyed as a form of art in sophisticated art uh, in sophisticated artwork in Eastern cultures. Peruvians love Japanese woodblock prints. African music has been adopted into mainstream Western culture. Art is everywhere and art seems to be universal. The same thing we consider beautiful today and note I did not mean trendy will still be beautiful despite trends in a hundred years. And that's what Dennis Dutton is arguing. To Dennis Dutton, it's, it would seem that beauty is not in the eyes of the, be the beholder, but rather it is a gift that is passed down from the past, a deep connection to what our ancestors found useful. A tear-shaped diamond is beautiful, but to him, it's not simply because society is telling us it's beautiful, but it's a, it's a primal awareness of the hard work and the effort it took to craft that shape that is very similar to the tools used by hunter-gatherers and the sphere, uh, the spears, for example, right? And I think that ideally this would be the case, that beauty is determined innately by human instincts and since all humans have alike instincts, our sense of beauty would be the same. But, just being realistic, I know that's not always true. I think that beauty is, in many ways, determined by society. There was a Dutch research study a while back. This is completely different from the facial attractiveness study we talked about just a second ago. This is, like, not even related. And this study looked into how group ratings are of facial attractiveness can influence a decision maker on their own ratings and what when the results came in it was clear that when the group ratings were presented individuals most often swiftly changed their answer their initial answer that they made without the group ratings to become more closely aligned with that of the groups 
And I think that that sense of conformity plays a big role in how beauty is determined. We are social animals that thrive off of groups. And, well, I, I have to admit, I think that also goes back to the argument about our primal instincts, right? We like sticking with group ideals because it makes us feel physically safer and makes us less vulnerable to being attacked by a grizzly bear or something in the middle of nowhere because we're alone and we're loners and we don't have groups, right? If we're stick stuck with a group, there's less of a chance that I will get killed. And that has in turn shifted us over the last couple hundred years or a couple thousand years to stick to group ideals because it makes us feel emotionally safer, right? So it, it turn from more of like uh like a safety thing like a physical safety thing to a more emotional uh mental like idea however i would like to acknowledge parts of dutton's case that do that do present a valid argument both dutton and the initial facial attractiveness argument uh that was given before the dutch research study i talked about about the similarity in results convey a certain uh, convey a certain case for the fact that beauty is innate and cannot be fully determined by society. And neither of these arguments actively try to prove what beauty is or set any standards for beauty. And I think that's really smart because I I think that actually strengthens their case a little bit. By negating any strict standards for beauty, they don't impose on society a certain view, but allow individuals come to conclusions independent of that influence and that's very much the case they're going for right they're talking about how it's instinctual and it does not depend on the influences society gives us and in their argument it would make a lot more sense for them to not give any criteria of what beauty is because they think beauty is innate and it does not require any definition and as the case is, this personal criteria for beauty turns out to be very similar a lot of the times. Ultimately though, I do think that beauty is an amalgamation of our instincts and society. And if you look at the beauty trends, much of those are products of society rather than instincts. We didn't think about what our ancestors would wear when we decided to put on an outfit or decide what diamond to buy because of the spears they used but I think part of it is more a combination of the two and even though if we don't realize it there is an aspect of our instincts in play but it's also a lot of times covered up by what society presents as beautiful especially in trends that's that's the most prominent in trends if if you're straight talking about beauty in the classical sense, I think there's less of an influence of trends, but you can also argue that, you know, in each era there was a different type of music. The Baroque era, the classical era, the romantic era, the contemporary era, right? Each of those, or not era, period, I think they're called. Um, and so in that sense, it's always shifting and it's not always the same. It's not always consistent. Um, and it doesn't always depend on our instincts, but rather the society as a whole and what they want to hear at the time, right? Those composers created those songs because of what society wanted from them and not necessarily what they wanted themselves, although you can argue that more contemporary um, works of art are much more free 
thinking. Uh, but that's a new phenomenon, right? That's not built in as an instinct. So I think that's also a trend to be more free and to like, rely less on society. Anyways, uh, so yeah, there you have it. That's the aspect of beauty that we I wanted to talk about today, which is why these things are considered beautiful. And they're considered beautiful because of an amalgamation of society and their instincts. So thank you for joining me on this episode of Exploring Roots. I hope you will join us next time for episode nine.